We're going to read now from God's Word um, from the book of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through to 7. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, there's pew Bibles in front of you or at the end of the pews. Please grab one of those and you'll find our reading uh, in those pew Bibles on page 1087. 1087. It's the book of John, chapter 15, starting at verse 1. And this is Jesus speaking. If you have a red-letter Bible, you'll realise that. But if you don't, then Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples and his hearers that are present. So Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Well, before we jump in, I forgot to introduce the offering. So uh, during the last song, we're going to be taking up an offering. Um, And if you fill in a connect card, please feel free to put that in back when it comes by later. in the service. And if you're new or you're uh, visiting, please don't feel compelled to give. Um, just if you call BRBC your home, you don't already give online. So that's coming later at the last song. But today, today we're continuing on in a series we're looking at of um, the strategic vision of BRBC. So if we can get that first slide up, that'd be great. What we've been looking at is as a church, who are we and what are we doing, basically? And last week, if you remember, we talked about our mission that we think is the essence of every single church across the world at all times. Jesus gave us this great commission, Matthew 28, to go to all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them. And we believe that as a church, we always are going to be, have that essence. And we say it like this, we want to love Jesus together and help other people to do the same. Now, we think that should be true of every church. They might say it differently, but as a mission, God's church is found in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. But the question is, how does that actually work out here in Bradfield and Ruffham in 2019 and the years to come? We need to put a bit more flesh on the bones, really. So we, as an eldership, have come with what we believe is a vision for BRBC for the next five years. And we brought that to the church members, and now we have given that to you if you haven't read it. Again, there's some paper copies by the door. We would love for you to read it. Um, And in it, we have a vision for where we think the Lord is asking us to step out in faith over the next five years. And to put it simply, our vision statement says this. Under God, we aim to be a vibrant church family that will be multiplying gospel communities around Suffolk by 2025. That's what we believe we are called to do at this time, in this moment, in this culture. But how do we do that? You can't just go do that. How do we, as a church family, continue to develop in order to multiply gospel communities around Suffolk by 2025 from a place of vibrancy. 
And so if we can sort of cut it down a little bit more, we have these sort of three different areas we want to focus on as a church. We want to reach people with the good news of Jesus. We want to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus, as we've heard from Darv. And then we want to multiply disciples through the gospel. So there's these three areas we need to sort of think on and focus on. And in the sort of vision document, there are goals, and we're going to be looking at that. And today, we're going to be looking at how we grow, both as individuals and as a church family. Last Sunday, James took us through how we are called to reach and the authority we have in Jesus' name and what happens when we speak God's gospel into the world around us. So we're going to be looking at grow this morning. Hopefully that was a quick catch-up for us all. So I'm going to ask the Lord's blessing one more time, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. So let's pray. Father, I want to ask for your help. Um, We recognize that you speak... Uh, amongst your people, and you speak in your word. Um, And so we just want to ask, would you please, um, yeah, still our hearts and our souls and our minds to recognize your voice, to allow you access into um, our thinking and our being, and we want to be transformed in the grace of Jesus. So please help me as I speak um, to be clear, and may we as a church grow in a vibrant, abiding life in Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, we're turning to this grow idea. And now, I'm curious, even as we begin even talking about growing, I'm curious, do you know what I'm going to say? Do you, know, do you already know what I'm going to say? If I were to ask you, how do you grow as a Christian, what would you say? I'm sure many of us, as good Baptists, would say, well, you just, you've got to read the Word, you've got to study the Word, you've got to know the Word. Some of others of us might say, you know, that's really helpful, but really it's about being connected in prayer and experiencing the Spirit's power. That's how you grow as a Christian. Other, others of us say, yeah, but you need to be able to do that in a community and a fellowship of other Christians. That's how you grow. Others might say, no, what you really need is you need to behold God's glory and worship him, soak in his presence. That's how you grow as a Christian. And yet even others, no, Really, what will actually grow and develop you as a Christian is when you serve others, when you enter into the mission of Jesus with him. That's what really changes someone. And there's even others who say, no, we just need to understand Jesus' work on the cross better. If we just understand more, then we'll change. Does that sound familiar? Now, for some of us, growing as a Christian, whether maybe you're new to the Christian faith or you are not yet a Christian, it just sounds complicated doesn't it? There's so many things to do. How could I ever understand the Bible as much as someone who has a theology degree? Or I never feel like I can be as open in prayer as that person or that free as that person in worship. I feel like I understand God's work, but maybe I don't. It's complicated. Or others of us might feel just tired and anxious, the thought, growing as a Christian. I'm already trying to pray. I'm trying to have quiet times. I'm trying to go to community groups, and it doesn't feel like I'm growing. I read God's word, but it just isn't landing, and I'm tired. I feel run ragged. Is it just more of the same thing? And yet, for others of us, which I would assume is a a good majority of us, growing as a Christian, we just feel stuck. I've been at this for a very long time, we say, and it doesn't seem to be working for me. I just feel stuck stuck. And when you see that vision statement, we want to be a vibrant church family full of vibrant individuals. It makes sense, doesn't it? But you might be thinking, I don't feel vibrant. 
I don't feel vibrant today. If I'm honest, I feel out of touch, maybe feel somewhat numb, and maybe you're cynical about growth and change. Some of us are sitting here wondering, am I the only one who feels like that? Is everyone else experiencing something else that I'm not? I feel stuck. Is anyone there this morning? Maybe you felt that way for months or years or maybe even a decade stuck. For example, you might have uh, done three Bible studies on the idea of God's peace. And you may have heard so many sermons on it, but in your week, your week is racked with anxiety and you don't actually experience that peace. And you think, am I actually growing? Or you've shared your struggle with anger with other Christians asking for help and you're trying to remind yourself that God is gracious and that he is slow to anger. And maybe you've managed to sort of appear kind and gracious to people, and you might even have been able to sort of keep your road rage at bay. But you're still quick to bite back, you're passive-aggressive underneath, and you're quietly holding grudges. Is this all there is to Christian growth and maturity? While externally you feel you may appear to be a follower of Jesus, internally your heart is fractured and your interior life, your interior world is disordered. Is this all there is to Christian growth and discipleship? And slowly but surely, while we would never probably admit it to anyone, we live with the sinking suspicion that some people are just more cut out to be Christians than we are. There's a sort of second-tier Christian maturity that many of us don't experience. Sort of super-Christians, we can call them. People who become pastors. People like Charles Spurgeon. People like Martin Luther. People like Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was one of the most famous British missionaries, and he founded China Inland Mission in the 19th century. He was responsible for bringing over 800 missionaries to China, starting 125 schools, among many other things. He, he was a part of things that directly involved 18,000 people coming to know Jesus. Talk about reaching people with the good news. And we say, whoa, that, that's in a whole different league. He's a man that many of us find incomparable, a super disciple. But was Hudson Taylor any different than any one of us sitting right here today? Did he just work harder at reading his Bible and praying and serving? Or was there some secret ingredient or magic formula of growth that he had that we don't have? Where is the gap? Well, after his death, his son Frederick wrote a letter about his father, Hudson, uh, to a friend recounting what it was about his father that enabled him to grow, to develop, and follow Jesus in ways that you and I tend to think are impossible in our own life. His son writes this about Hudson. If you can't read it, I'm going to read it for us. He says, Here was a man almost 60 years of age, bearing tremendous burdens, yet absolutely calm and untroubled. Oh, the pile of letters... Any one of them, any, any, of, any one of which might contain news of death, of lack of funds, of riots, or serious trouble, yet all were opened, read, and answered with the same tranquility. Christ, his reason for peace, his power for calm. Dwelling in Christ, he drew upon his very being and resources, and this he did by an attitude of faith as simple as it was continuous. Yet he was delightfully free and natural. I can find no words to describe it save the scriptural expression in God. He was in God all the time and God in him. It was that true abiding of John 15. Hudson Taylor 
was a deeply changed man because he was in God all the time and God in him. Hudson wasn't just an extra hardworking Christian. He didn't have some magic formula. Simply dwelling in Jesus and being with Jesus radically transformed who he was at the core of his being. And from that, he was able to open up this pile of letters containing news of death, trouble, riots, and have peace, tranquility. Why? Because he was deeply attached to Jesus. Could you experience that when you look at your email inbox this week? Could you experience that? Is there still a possibility to receive deep, lasting, real change in your life, even if you feel stuck? Even if you feel like you've reached the the end of what you expect out of the Christian life this morning? And the answer is an astounding, absolutely. Jesus calls us today, like every other day, to live with him in his kingdom. At the heart of it, I think our problem when it comes to growth is that we accidentally, mistakenly think of discipleship as doing things for Jesus rather than being with Jesus. We approach discipleship as sort of a content download rather than a formative, vulnerable relationship. Most of our sort of personal growth tactics and discipleship tactics really only add, for many of us, a sort of protective layer against actually growing up spiritually. We have these good and real authentic spiritual exercises, prayer, worship, Bible studies, fellowship, but we mistakenly think, oh, I must be fine. I must be growing if I'm doing all these things. Even if our relational life is fractured and our, and our interior world is disordered, the apparent progress of church life can sometimes provide a very spiritual reason for not doing the hard work of maturing. Towards the end, we're going to talk about how important the spiritual exercise of community, serving, and prayer are. But but we must first look at the simple yet difficult, non-negotiable key to Christian growth that Hudson Taylor understood immensely, abiding in Jesus. All of our spiritual disciplines are are mere means to that end of abiding in Jesus. So, if we want to be a vibrant church family, made up of vibrant, growing disciples of Jesus, we need a renewed emphasis on being with and in Jesus before we ever try to do anything for Jesus. So, how do we do that? How do we experience that? Well, Jesus tells us, as recorded in John 15. And his first command to us is in verses 4 and 6, and it says, Abide always. Let's reread verses 4 and 6. 4 to 6. Abide in me and I in you, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So Jesus gives us this image to help us understand what it's like to live a growing, fruitful life as a Christian. In the story, Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. We're connected, and as a result of that connection, we bear fruit. If we don't stay connected, we don't bear fruit. We won't be able to do anything. It's really quite a simple image. And if I were to ask you, what is the one simple job description for every branch, that's you and me, what is the job description? It's very short. Remain. Abide in the vine. Stay connected. Now, when we first look at this, it might seem like Jesus is actually 
just swapping out a million little tasks for one giant task to abide. At first glance, Jesus' command sounds like another sort of to-do list item or an impossible request, abide in him. But that's not what he's actually asking of you and me. It's not another to-do list item to gain Jesus' approval and acceptance. Typically, when we hear these sorts of commands, we immediately consider it a request to grow for Jesus. But the difference is that Jesus is not asking us a proactive requirement. It's more like a passive reception from Jesus that he's asking us to do. So it's kind of like, it's like someone bringing you a cup of ice-cold water on a hot, sweltering day, and they say, here, take a drink. It's like when you go over to someone's house, and they're grilling steaks, they take one off, off the grill, gently shave off a piece, and say, here, savor this, enjoy this, eat this. The vine asks the branch to stay and receive its life-growing sap. That's the connection we have between the vine and the branches. To abide is to dependently remain where there's life and goodness. That word abide in the original Greek is uh, the word menu. And it has a range of meanings um, that different sort of English equivalents have tried to get at and what Jesus is trying to mean in the passage. And this word abide, depending on translation, it might have different words. It could mean to remain to stay in, to hold on to, to rest in, to make a home in, and to relax in. This term is not one of those terms that you can sort of quickly, mentally kind of grasp it and move on quickly. It's simple, but it's difficult because it requires time to settle and slowly rest. Abiding in Jesus is not like jotting down a few sermon notes and then quickly moving on. Okay, so what does it actually mean to allow myself to be held by Jesus, to remain, to abide in Jesus? How do I abide in Christ? Well, an image that might help, perhaps. If you've been in Waterstones this past winter, you have likely come across a large display in a pile of books with a very bizarre word on them. And the word is this. Has anyone ever seen this book in Waterstones? Huga. I looked it up. It's Huga. It looks like Heige. It's Huga. Over the past two years, Scandinavian lifestyle has become sort of a stylish fad. And this past winter, this was the best-selling book on the Danish art of living well, called Huga. Now, Huga is the art of coziness. Very Danish, the art of coziness, at least according to one author. It's a term that's meant to sort of encapsulate the culture and the Danish way of life. There are many different uh, aspects of Huga, uh, and here are a few different ways that Danish people try and explain Huga. So here's one person. For Danes, Huga is the pursuit of happiness in the everyday life. A cup of coffee and a butter cookie, and a butter cookie is Huga, if it's the right moment. All those little moments during the day when you get an authentic pause to be with people, that's Huga. The warm glow of a candlelight, that's Huga. Cozying up with a loved one at a movie, that's huga. It's the art of creating an atmosphere where we experience togetherness, relaxation, and simple pleasures. That's huga. When I open the blinds, get out of bed, and make myself coffee, I huga. From all I can gather, amidst many different definitions, is that huga is bearing your soul into a particular moment and making it into a cozy, temporary home to dwell in. It's the best I can come up with. It's a deep, 
attendance to and presence to the people around you, the atmosphere and experience you're in. It's to abide in the goodness of the moment. Hugo. Now this cultural phenomenon seems to be a shadow of what I think Jesus is asking us to do in him. Because Jesus asks us in every moment to make our abode in him, abide in him, to be so firmly planted in his presence that we're at home in him every day. To abide in him is to be attentive and aware to his presence and work in the smallest everyday moments. To abide in him is to treasure his words, contemplate them, chew them, and savor them. It's to attend to the world as if Jesus was really present right now. At its best, I think Huga is a well-intentioned, abiding in good experiences and atmosphere. But in the end, it really is just a rich person's secular counterfeit for what Jesus is asking us to do in him. Because the problem is, what happens if you're not a beautiful Danish person and you don't have extra income to spend? <laughs> Let's be honest, right? What happens when your children are throwing a tantrum, there's food on the walls, and you're in an argument with your spouse? What happens when you're grieving the loss of a loved one? What abode are you meant to retreat into at that moment? Where's the Hugo? Hugo only works if there's a genuine nice experience to retreat into. But Jesus says, abide in me. My life will not fade. My presence will not leave. Remain in me. You have an abode in me. You have an opportunity to be at home in every storm of life. Can you imagine what that would look like? Work might be terrible. You feel like you're going to crumble? Abide. You can go home. You're scared about the future holds that it feels like you can't even move. Abide. Go home. You feel alone in your pain. Abide. You can go home in Jesus. Abide in the vine. Why? Because it is the vine's job to supply every branch with his very own life-giving sap and energy. That's the job of the vine. That's what Jesus wants to give us. And guess what happens if and when we abide in Jesus, both in the small moments of rapture and in the ugly moments of everyday life. It's in the middle of verse 5. Let's look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So, in whatever circumstance you're abiding, you will bear much fruit. Life sprouts out in visible ways that you and your other people can see. Why? Because you're connected to Jesus. You're connected to the vine. The fruit is just the external manifestation of what has happened internally at the base of the branch. Fruit is just the result of the branch's location in the vine. The ESV puts it, he it is that bears much fruit. Now you might take that as, if I abide in Jesus, then I must bear fruit or I'm required to bear fruit. There's a bit of vagueness there, but I think the NIV translation clears it up a bit. It says, whoever abides in me, he will bear much fruit. Whoever abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. That's not a threat. That's a promise. If you abide, you will bear fruit. That's the way growth works in God's kingdom. When God's grace and life personally minister to each and every one of us personally, it just spills out around us. Fruit comes as the overflow, the abundance of this life-giving sap from the branch and our connection to the vine. We give to others what we receive. If we're not abiding, if we're not pulling out from Jesus' life and grace, then all we can give other people 
is ourselves apart from Jesus. And so again, if we're not abiding and pulling all of Jesus' life, then we can only give people ourselves apart from Jesus. And I know from experience how that goes. I give to others out of fear, out of anxiety, and out of unanchored selfishness. We cannot give what we don't possess. We bear his fruit or we don't bear any fruit. This past couple weeks I've been preparing, I've been reading uh, a few different books, and one I found especially helpful um, by an author and pastor named Pete Scazzaro, and he, in it, he has a sort of diagnostic tool. And as I was reading it, I, I felt extremely convicted, but it's often difficult to sort of understand whether or not you're biting, because it seems like a conceptual idea, when in fact, really, it's quite down to earth. And so what he's done is created just nine simple little points, and it says, if you're not experiencing this loving union, this abiding with Jesus, your life may look like this. And I found this uh, extremely terrifying, but also extremely comforting, because Jesus wants to have you abide, wants to give you life. So if you're kind of curious, am I abiding, am I not abiding? I want to just quickly walk us through this short, short diagnostic um, tool. You can close your eyes if you want. You can uh, just quietly think. But we're going to go through this very, very, quite, uh, very contemplatively together. So, you know you're not abiding. You know you're not slowing down for loving union with Jesus when, number one, you can't shake the pressure you feel from having too much to do and little time. Two, you're always rushing. Three, you routinely fire off quick opinions and judgments. Four, you're fearful about the future. Five, you're overly concerned about what others think. Six, you're defensive and easily offended. Seven, you're routinely preoccupied and distracted. Eight, you feel unenthusiastic or threatened by the success of others. Nine, you routinely spend more time talking than listening. This might be what it looks like if we're not abiding in Jesus. This is the results. Fearful, rushing, judgmental, threatened. And Jesus is saying, no, no, come, abide. Abide in me. Find that peace, that rest, that security, and fruit will come. When we fail to abide, we live out of our own strength. And we give other peoples, ourselves, not Jesus. The consequences of trying to grow without abiding are seen in verses 5 and 6. Let's reread the end of verse 5 and 6. Very end of verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So, the first consequence of not abiding is that you can do nothing of eternal fruitfulness. That's a sobering thought. Second question, or second consequence, is that the branch withers. The third consequence, the branch is destroyed. Apart from Jesus, our works are empty. Our lives will just slowly spiral into confusion and sin, and eventually we'll be separated from Jesus, the only source of life, which means destruction. So after giving these intimately deep and bountiful promises, Jesus wants to sort of underline how serious and vital abiding really is. 
There are these beautifully rich results of abiding in Jesus, but there are these equally disastrous and frightful results of rejecting the offer of life in Jesus and seeking to abide in ourselves or other situations. The vine is the only only (coughs) place... The vine is the only place where the branch belongs. If branches are separated, we will wither and fade, and ultimately branches are destroyed, whether it be kindling for your fire at home or throwing in the brown bin behind your garage. Abiding in Jesus really is a matter of life and death, and not just sort of an extracurricular add-on extra. If he is a source of eternal life, then our attempt to do good works without him will be empty, exhausting, and tiring, and, and we will experience a slow, gradual withering of purpose and peace and life, which is just a precursor of destruction. You can try and grow, both as a human being and as a Christian, without him. You can accomplish a lot, but you're going to kill yourself doing it, and at the end, all that fruit will not carry into Jesus' everlasting kingdom. Now, some of us here today want nothing to do with abiding in Jesus, and it's my job to beg you to allow yourself to rest in and to relax in this vine for your very life. Not just one day when you die, but today, to personally come to know Jesus. There's nothing you need to do or prove. He has come for you. He wants you to know you personally. His desire is that you'd come and abide. Some of us here today have sadly mistaken our own doing for Jesus with our being with Jesus. And we trust and we relax in our own ability to serve, attend, and do for Jesus. And we are in danger of being surprised with many others on the last day when we say, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons? Do we not do mighty works in your name? And he will reply, I never knew you. Depart from me. Jesus wants you. He wants you to abide. And his desire is that you abide and bear much, much fruit. And then there's some of us here today who need encouragement, who know this bottomless well of peace, of joy and rest found in abiding in Jesus. We'll become distracted or weary. We need to hear his command again. Come, abide, relax. His desire is that we would abide and bear fruit. So how do we grow? Abide always, relax. Secondly, we allow access. Let's reread verses 1 to 3 again. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So we hear that the Father is also at work in the growth. If Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, then the Father is the vine dresser. He's the one caring for the vine and pruning off all the unhealthy and misguided parts. So it both means dependently drawing on Jesus and allowing ourselves to be trimmed away by their sin and disease. The problem is that's painful. It's painful to allow yourself to be opened up and exposed to allow access to the vine dresser. We normally sort of measure the quality relationship by two things. First, how long we know someone, and second, how much time we spend with them. But if I were to ask you, what, who are your f- deepest friendships with, and what is a common denominator, it would be, actually, the common denominator between my deepest friends is that I can be open and honest and vulnerable with them. The depth of the relationship is defined by the extent to which you open up the deep parts of your life. 
we can very easily think our time at church and Bible studies or quiet times, that's, I know him really, really well. But what extent have we actually opened up to allow the Father to have access? We talked about how difficult it is in a culture of privacy to allow access. Many have used this helpful image of an iceberg to talk about how we basically live in the sort of 15% on the top, what is visible to other people. But underneath, there's this 80% that actually is hidden that we don't ever address personally or show to anyone. We're afraid of being found out, and so we hide. We hide from each other, we hide from God. And if you're like me, it's very easy to pray a prayer of confession and not actually allow yourself to be open to the Lord. And this is where we get stuck. We allow Jesus into the 15% of visible. Jesus, you can help me. I'll stop cursing. Jesus, you can help me serve a church. But we don't ever allow beneath the surface radical transformation. We're afraid that ultimately at the end of ourselves, we will be condemned at the deepest level of who we are if we open up. But notice what Jesus says at the end of verse 3. What does verse 3 say? It says, Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. You are already clean. Jesus, knowing how troublesome it is that we need deep heart surgery from the Father, reminds us, you are already clean. It's not as if God's going to be surprised if you allow him access to your deepest recesses. You're going to go, oh, I didn't know that that was going to be there. God knew full well every dark thought, every sin, and the person you become. He said, I want to redeem this person. I want them to experience my life in the Son. I want them to abide in Jesus. And Jesus speaks his gospel to each one of us. You are already clean. Those deep, dark submerged under the surface, hidden inner life of sin that we don't want to expose is not a roadblock to growth. It's the opportunity to see God's refreshing grace applied to the hidden wasteland of our hearts. He wants to give you this deep, abiding, transforming life. Many of you know the experience of letting him cut away. Sometimes he even asks without our permission, but he's good in light of it. He is tender with us, and oh, the abundance of fruit. So I want to encourage you in your walk. You have nothing to fear. He has died for you, so you can trust him with some pruning shears. Posture your heart to allow God access, which is our final point, very short. If you abide, you allow access, ask away. In verse 7, we're told, if my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I don't want to spend long, because I don't want to overcomplicate this point. Jesus tells us, if my words abide in you, if you hear, if what you hear resonates, and this is true, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. I don't know what you might be going through today. Maybe you feel refreshed by how badly Jesus wants to give you his life. Maybe you feel sorrowful that you haven't been drawing on the deep well of his grace. Or maybe you're considering what it actually means to be connected to Jesus. Wherever you are, whoever you are, you have the ability and the freedom to ask him whatever you wish. This is how open our God is to pouring out his abundant blessings on each and every one of us, on sinful people prone to wander. Ask him to uncover where you've denied him access. Ask him to show you his grace anew. The vine's job is to share all of its resources in life with the branches that they would bear fruit. As Paul says in Ephesians, God is constantly poised to do more than we ever imagine or think or wish. Jesus wants us to be a vibrant, life-filled people by abiding. So as a church, we want to be a collection of those vibrant people. 
We want to experience that beneath the surface radical transformation. We want to be a place where people can abide. And so I'm just going to conclude with our, with our five goals, how we want to try and grow as a church. These are not the magic formula. This is not, if you do these things, it will not be guaranteed to grow. The key to growing is abiding with Jesus. All these things are like, are like a trellis that helps support and structure life in the vine. So we want to help support community group leaders. We want community groups to be a place where you can actually find this deep abiding life. We want to support team leaders. We want to make sure that team leaders are giving out of the abundance of their life. We want to create discipleship opportunities where small groups of people can be open enough to say, this is where I think the Father is pruning you. We want to develop women and children's work so all of us can abide in Christ well. And we want to uh, provide growing deeper training, specific pointed training on how we can grow. So we've come to the end. And just when we're going to celebrate our life in the vine in a very real, tangible way, we're going to be taking bread and a cup of juice as means of communing with Jesus. We call it communion. And so this, this is ground zero. The practice and what it signifies is the wellspring of our life of abiding in Jesus. So in a moment, ushers will come and distribute these plates, which will contain pieces of bread and cups of juice. If you're gluten-free, please just tell the ushers, and they can get you gluten-free bread. And after you, hold those, after you get those, please hold on to them. We'll take them together. What we're doing by eating this very normal bread and this grape juice is celebrating our union with Jesus. Not just an imaginary relationship, but a true abiding union with the real, risen, and living Jesus. His words to you are forgiveness and peace. You are clean. So please take this bread if you say, I know and love Jesus, or I want to know and love Jesus. So I'm going to pray, and as I pray, will the ushers come and help me pass this out? Let's pray. Father, we ask um, that you would come to us in a real and tangible way as we quiet our hearts and our souls to receive from you. Um, as we... As we uh, stop and pause, would you uncover the places um, that we have denied you access before? May we see clearly as you hold us tenderly. And please fill the recesses of our fractured and weary hearts with your presence and grace. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.